The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm shakes at the mention of his name he has power over life and death every knee will bow and tongue confess heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father will you bow will to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is a fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin. Yes. And believe on the risen Christ. Yes. You can find peace in Him. From the judgment that's to come. From the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come he is a shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm. Amen. 
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm going now on almost two months of being crippled, housebound, unable to walk at all. But oh, the powerful lessons I'm learning, the painful truths I'm having to confront. Well, let's go right to it, but let's pray before we do. Oh, Lord, I come today asking you to shelter me and every person listening to this broadcast. Shelter us under your blood, Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit come forth in great power. And we will praise you and honor you and glorify your mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. I pray. Amen. Well, the New Testament church should be the safest place in the world. Unfortunately, Pastor James did not find it so. In the third chapter of the book of James, writing to his congregation, he confronts some things head on that you would not have imagined would have been happening in the New Testament church. He writes, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. He's saying, look, we're from the New Testament church. This is where it all happened. But please be aware that if you decide you want to be a teacher of the gospel, you better be very careful because God will judge most strictly those who go forth proclaiming their word of God. He continues, We all stumble. We all make mistakes. And that's true. I've been a pastor now over 50 years, and I have stumbled so many times. I've made so many mistakes. Unfortunately, they're not all mistakes. Some are just flat-out sin. When we put bits into the mouths of a horse to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Those are very sobering words to me. This tongue... I've terribly misused it on a number of occasions where it becomes so evident and so destructive is when I come as a pastor teaching the gospel because my whole heart is I want to teach truth. I don't want to teach error. I don't want to teach lies. And so I constantly am praying about what I'm going to teach how I'm going to teach it. I ask the Lord for very specific direction. But there have been several times in my life where I have been deeply wounded by a brother or sister or by a church. And my response to that has been, 
to teach the principles that I believe apply here as though it were God's word. And it wasn't God's word. It was my word. It's what I wanted to teach them, to correct them, when I was the one who needed to be corrected. Now, this is hard for me to deal with, but it's very real. Even in the New Testament church, people were saying things that were lighting fires in James' church, and evidently he was having to put a fair amount of time into putting out the fires. And if any of you are pastors, you know exactly what I'm saying today. People will come in and they'll say whatever they want to say, and they'll say it as though it were God speaking. And if it's God speaking, then a fire starts. It's that wicked, wicked tongue that will say whatever it thinks it wants to say, but it will couch all of that in this is God's word. You need to listen. You need to change. Well, now, if it's true that they need to change, then there is a way to say it. But it's very difficult to say things to people, telling them they need to change when it's flowing out of a hurt in your own heart. Something I've noticed as I go to the prayer closet. Very seldom will God answer a prayer that has my self-interest involved. That's not usually where God is interested. He's interested in unselfish, disinterested prayer for another person. He doesn't usually like to be asked to straighten somebody out because they're saying or doing things that they should not be saying or doing. This is a very difficult issue. And it becomes even more difficult when we begin to look at a person who says, I love you. I love you. But their actions show that they don't have any love in their heart at all for you. They're claiming to love you so that they can correct you. It always upsets me when somebody takes a position that you're wrong, but I love you. That's a very painful place to be because the evidence of their life is that they have no love or care for you at all. Sometimes this happens with parents and children. The child is constantly told, I love you, I love you, but then is treated harshly, unfairly. It's really a way to say something that will elicit from another person a favorable response while hiding their own anger and bitterness toward that child or that husband or that wife. Anyone who says to me, oh, Pastor Ray, I love you. I love your sermons. Immediately, a red flag goes up for me. Why are they so interested in truth? Or is it just their game they play? Jesus told a parable about different kinds of soil. One kind of soil, the people came to the church and they were very interested and they were, wow, this is great. And then the sun came up. They had difficulty of some kind. And they're gone. You know who I cherish? 
I cherish a brother or a sister who demonstrates a consistent care for the work of Jesus and for whom no expense is too great. They want the work of the gospel to go forward and they're willing to do whatever they need to do to advance the work of the gospel. I have a man in my church like that and a woman. I won't name them. I don't want to embarrass them. But if they see we need matching light bulbs in the studio, you can be sure matching light bulbs are going to show up in the studio. If they see that the chairs need to be set up, hasn't been done yet, and they arrive, they're there to set the chairs up. Whatever they need to do, they're going to be there to advance the work of God. So you have a lot of talkers. And those talkers will often say to me, Pastor, we love you. Right. Where were you when we needed the chairs set up? Where were you when we needed this or that done? No, I cherish and love people who do something to build the kingdom of God, not talkers. I don't have time for talkers. So here we are. James is speaking to his congregation. I'm sure there are not a lot of amens happening. The tongue is a fire. You know, I've seen churches destroyed by a person who believes that he's speaking the truth from God. But he's lying and he's not speaking the truth. He's speaking his own truth for his own reasons, for his own ambitions. This kind of fire once it catches in a church and one person begins to talk to another person and another person talks to another person and pretty soon the buzz is on, it's a storm that can destroy people and fellowships. When I have spoken out of my own pain, my own anguish, out of my own issues, as though it were coming from God. Oh, I'm in a world of hurt and a world of trouble. That's part of the painful lesson I'm having to deal with as I am housebound and have to examine the last years of ministry and say, Where and when did I speak my truth instead of God's truth? When did I speak my truth as though it were God's truth? Now, pastors are not the only one who's subject to doing this. Happens in marriages. Happens in schools. Happens on the job. The man or woman who is eager to speak. I need to tell you about Jesus. I need to get you straightened out. Is that coming from the Holy Spirit or is that coming out of your own insecurity and wanting to be somebody? and wanting people to listen to you and respect you. Got to be very, very careful with this. I've seen whole companies destroyed by backbiting, by gossip, where suddenly a person walks into their work environment 
and everything has changed, and they don't know why it should have changed. But suddenly everyone's giving them the the cold shoulder. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Yes, that's how serious James was about this issue. He's saying that people are going to go to hell for being a whisperer, for being a person who is trying to speak in such a manner that they are lifted up and the other is cast down. I've seen it too many times. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And I have experienced so many times a person whose tongue is full of poison, but it's all couched very carefully in, I love you, Pastor. Get out of here. Don't waste my time. I'm not going to give you the time of the day. Why? Because I don't want to be lied to. And most especially, I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to speak to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that causes harm to your heart. I pray constantly for all of you who listen to this broadcast. I pray that your heart will be encouraged and purified and made clean by the blood of Jesus. I pray that you will come to know the total freedom of Jesus Christ. That you will come to know that your sins are wiped away. That you are free in Jesus. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. This is the third chapter of James, verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spigot The same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. By, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You know, usually this flame of fire from a, a tongue that knows no bounds usually flows out of ambition or it flows out of envy. But it can also flow out of defensiveness, not wanting to be cut down. Now, I have to tell you, being cut down is no fun. 
but sometimes it's the only way the Lord can get my attention or your attention. And we have to go in time out. I've been in time out for almost two months. I know God will heal me. He's told me he will. He's told me he will carry me all the way through. I'm very grateful for that reassurance, but it's still very painful. Now it's very clear. Let me read it for you. If you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and unspiritual. It is of the devil. For wherever you have envy, selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now, please hear me when I say this. Do your words have meaning? Do your words have meaning? Or are you just a talker? And you show forth no kindness or mercy? My heart has been so warmed by all of those at the National Prayer Chapel who have come and taken my wife shopping like they did this morning where they took her to pick up my dry cleaning, where they bring special food. They've been so kind. I'm grateful that I'm not having to deal with this issue at the prayer chapel. We don't have those talkers. We have walkers. Now, some are immature walkers. That's all right. They're still walking. But listen to this. Chapter 3, verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Pure with no motives, not trying to gain something, not trying to be somebody. It's just, it's just pure, filled with love and respect, one for another. Peace-loving. This fire that is burning in some people's hearts, and I've been guilty, did not bring peace. It brought separation. It brought brokenness. It was inconsiderate. One of the signs that a person's words have meaning is if they're considerate. They're concerned about what the other person is doing and why and how they can help. Not coming with angry words, self-justification. When I hear those kinds of words, I know that person is a tongue on fire and their words have no meaning. They say what they want to say, but you know in the end it has no content. 
Then Pastor James says, submissive. Pastors love parishioners and people who are submissive to the word of God. Not to them. A godly pastor is not looking for a submissive congregation. He's looking for a congregation who are utterly submissive to the word of God. And when they hear the truth, they respond to the truth. And if they're walking in error or lies, they listen. They don't argue. They are submissive. They're not defensive. They're full of mercy. Wow. I'm sorry this has happened. How can I help you? I want to lift your load. And good fruit. I like fruit. I like all kinds of fruit. There's nothing that so refreshes as a... I shouldn't say this. A muskmelon, ripe, picked in the field, brought in the house, cut in half, seeds cleaned out of it, and scooped full of delicious ice cream. Now that's good for me. You may not like that, but I love that. Good fruit. Impartial. People who are not going to take sides. Who are not going to say things to someone else to try to convince them to take their side. And I have been guilty of doing that. After all, I know the truth, right? No, I don't know the truth. I'm learning the truth, and his name is Jesus. Impartial means I'm going to let it be fair and straight and I'm going to go to Jesus and he's going to tell me exactly what should happen. And then the last of this sentence, people who are operating out of purity and peace-loving, they're going to be sincere. Well, what does sincere mean? The woman of the house goes to the marketplace. She's looking for a a new pot to, to cook dinner on. And they're all made out of clay. So she's going through and looking at the various pots and how much they cost and who made them. So they ask the man who fired the pot. Is this a sincere pot? Well, what what is she asking? She's asking, when you fired this pot, did you have it on too hot and it cracked? And then you didn't want to lose this pot, so you filled the, the crack with wax. And so if I use this pot and put it on the fire, I'm going to lose my dinner because... The wax is going to melt out, and I'll have an insincere pot. Oh, believe me. I don't want to be an insincere cooking pot. When God puts me on the fire, I don't want a crack to show up where I've covered over something. I want everything right out in the open. I'm not going to hide things from my wife. I'm not going to hide things from friends. I'm going to be straight up. This is what I am. This is what I do. You don't need to worry. I will tell you the truth. Verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness 
peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness, of innocence. While a man full of selfish ambition, a man who has a tongue of flame, who has no control over what he says. Have you ever met someone like that? They can't control what they say. They have to tell everybody everything. Even though it's embarrassing, they tell everybody everything. He's saying, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. While a man or a woman with a tongue on fire, they just burn the house down. They burn the church down. They burn the relationship down. And I have burned some relationships for which I am very sorrowful and grieve every day. Because when I spoke... My truth, I spoke it as God's truth, but it wasn't God's truth. It was my truth. And I'm very sorrowful about that. I know I'm forgiven. But I am determined to no longer have a tongue of fire. I am going to be, in every way possible, a man of peace. Because... Peacemakers sow in peace and raise a harvest of righteousness. And that's what I want in my life. I want a harvest of righteousness. Now, part of what's been very hard for me is just not dealing with people who have tongues of fire. Just don't deal with them. And I don't like to not deal with anybody. And I'm going to have to grow up in this. I'm going to have to grow up and be able, with kindness and words of peace, confront a person who has a tongue of fire. Confrontation has never been easy for me. I don't like confrontation. I don't like battle. I'm a man of peace. I'm determined I will be a man of peace. Well, that's where James ends that section. And I want to come back now to the book of Colossians as we wrap up today's broadcast. In the second chapter of the book of Colossians, The Apostle Paul, chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. How do you live in Jesus? By being a man or a woman of peace. Rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but by the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. You know, I'm so 
I'm so clear that I don't want to be a man of war. I am choosing to be a man of peace. I will be a man of war with the sword of the Spirit and the demonic powers that come and try to divide a church, that come and try to single out a weak person and draw them aside. No, I'm talking about morally how we live. And what I want you to see here, don't let anyone take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. It is a deceptive philosophy that teaches that you're going to always be a sinner and that you can never be washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus. That's a, that's a damnable lie. It's the philosophy of man, the philosophy of self-improvement. It's the humanistic philosophy. I don't want it. It depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, not on Christ. Now notice it says, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Now, in the Greek, it's not putting off the sinful nature. It's not putting off the sinful nature. In the Greek, it's destroying the sinful nature. So that the sinful nature no longer has any presence or any power in your life. You have chosen the way of Jesus Christ, and he has circumcised you not done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Verse 11. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him to your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. I want you to hear this. Jesus Christ loves you. And he has or is, has or is willing to circumcise you. That is, to totally destroy in your life the power of the old nature. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have infirmities. But it does mean that you can walk clean and in peace with Jesus, in absolute love, with a sincere heart, knowing that there's nothing deceptive in you, that you are filled by the Spirit of the living God, and you can walk in the Spirit of the living God day by day in absolute confidence that Jesus Christ is sheltering you under the blood of Jesus. That you are saved, that you are forgiven, that you are made whole. That's there for you. Ask Jesus if he would be willing to circumcise you, if he'd be willing to cut off from you all of the old habits, all of the old ways. Sometimes it takes time, but only because we're unconscious or unwilling. This is a work that can be done in revival in a matter of hours or days. Why? Because suddenly the Holy Spirit shines his brilliant light upon you 
and every flaw is right there. Every evil thought, every evil practice, every demonic captivity in your life is made plain right there in front of you. You go to pray, and your brain is dead. Get up off the floor, walk, and begin to cry aloud. There is something so powerful about praying out loud versus letting your mind wander and go to sleep laying on the floor. Don't do it. Begin to cry aloud to God. Begin to say, Lord, you see this time I'm wasting doing whatever the entertainment is. Would you take this from me? I don't want it anymore. I want to get ready to be with you in heaven. I don't want to be a flame burning my wife or my husband. I don't want to be a flame burning my kids. I don't want to be a flame starting trouble in the church. I don't want to be a flame bringing chaos and disorder to my workplace. I'm there to honor you. I'm there to produce an honest day's work. No more gossip. No more cutting down. How is it for you? Well, we're almost out of time for this broadcast today. But I want to read one more passage. Verse 13, this is Colossians 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, and believe me, when you... Lay down to pray, and your mind is blank. When you lay down to pray, and or you sit in your chair to pray, you pray in your heart, you're dead. There's a reason why you're not crying out, because you're dead. When you were dead, in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. God wants to bring you to life. He promises the Holy Spirit. Will you cry aloud to God and ask him for that? Let's pray. Lord, I come with my brothers and my sisters, and I cry aloud to you and say, Oh, Lord, put the fire out that's started by our wicked tongues. Lord, let us no longer pretend that we're speaking your word when it's really our word and our judgment because we want to be the authority, or we're defensive, or whatever the reason, ambitious. Oh, Lord, I plead today that you will forgive my sin of being a fire that brings burning, that destroys. I ask that you would forgive me for those past times. Lord, I plead today for your mercy, your kindness. I ask that you would make me and each person listening today a man and a woman of peace and joy and long-suffering. I ask, Almighty God, that you will bind the spirits of darkness that reside in our families. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave now. I plead, O Jesus, by the precious blood you shed on Calvary, would you shelter us under that blood? 
Will you change our reality and wake us up? Lord, so many of your people, when it comes to prayer, all they can do is murmur a few words. They're dead. Lord, wake up your people. Cause us to rise up in power and cry aloud. Oh, Lord, you are the Almighty, the King of all the, the King of all the earth. Lord, I plead today. I plead your blood. I plead your blood. Fill our hearts with an urgency to get right with you, to walk clean with you. Lord, thank you for the many who are praying for me, who are sending me encouraging cards or notes. I stand by faith, I will be healed in the name of Jesus Christ, that I will learn the lessons I must learn, that you would be able to use me in whatever way you need to use me. I belong to you, Jesus. And I ask now for the blessing of your presence for my wife and for myself. Lord, you are awesome. Come, Jesus, and minister to our hearts. Thank you for your kindness. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we have two minutes left. Let me give you our address. Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And thank you to the many of you who are going to the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com and you're giving online, I ask also, would you share the broadcast with others? Would you spread them? Jesus has been so kind to me. I have no complaint against my Savior. I have no grumble, and I want no fire to burn others. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy.